Hi, this is Andy Starr from Ecology Plus Vision. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Noak Show starts in 3, 2, 1... Live from a cul-de-sac somewhere in Evanston, Illinois, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. 20 years and counting as Chicago's go-to deep green gardening and environment program. Heard every Sunday morning on Chicago's Smart Talk. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees, strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 847 475 1590, on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show, and at Mike Now on Twitter. And here they are. She's lean and he's green. Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Yeah, come on, not yet. Wait, we're not ready. Oh, we're more or less ready. Good morning, everybody. Hey, the sun's out again. Cool. Uh, so, big deal. Like it means anything. Well, it could it, be like yesterday, though. When it's, when it's 30 degrees, it doesn't really... Yes, but yesterday was like miserable and raining and, and snowing, and today the sun's out. Uh-huh. So what I'm trying to do here is... Uh, I, I don't think that was... That wasn't the countdown well, I wanted. I got, I got the computer. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually going in my file, which is really <laughs> a dangerous thing here with me. If you do, Brandon's just shaking his head. He's shaking his head because I'm no, I'm just totally obsessing here <laughs> at this point. Because uh, what I wanted to play this morning, I think, was this one. This is Brandon Losey from Ringers Landscaping. You're listening to 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in two, three, one. Novak. I said Novak. Uh, but I like the two, Novak. three, one. That's my favorite part. That's staying. <laughs> That's why I wanted that one. In two, three, one. Now I've had people go one, two, three. I've never had anybody go two, three, one before. So he's an original. He is. In your hey. defense, that is the one you sent us. Uh oh. So what happened? I don't know. I'm not responsible for that part. <laughs> Whoever loaded Simeon again. Uh, Mike or Randall. Okay. Thank you. There we go. Perhaps that happened when they were loading the replay yesterday. That might have been. Yeah, it it might have been. Well, we I had issues this week anyway with 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 uh, Firefox because uh, Firefox decided to discontinue uh, out of the blue Fire FTP. Surprise! Surprise! Yeah, the uh, fi- the so my FTP system. I, I went in and said, "This is no longer in use. This is no longer whatever they their message is." Uh, and I said, "Are you you're kidding me?" So now I got to set up a whole new FTP mm-hmm. deal. And um, and that that's going to take me more than uh, than ten minutes, so uh, I had to get the uh, so that's why one of the reasons the podcast from last week isn't posted yet because I had to get that via email, 
and download it. And, and download it. And yeah, blah, and Firefox blah. just did something because when I had to reboot, blah, blah, blah. reboot my computer yesterday, suddenly there was a new Firefox staring at me. I know. They, uh, they are, uh, they, they've changed things this week. So they decided, hooray, we're going to change things for you. And, uh, and then you're going to just play with it. You're just going to figure it out. Hey, welcome to the show. We got a lot of, it's a, you know, it's funny because there's nobody here in studio. All right. It's just kind of us and Brandon, but he's and on, everybody on Facebook but he's, Live. he's uh, hermetically sealed on the other side of the glass for our own protection. This invisible shield protects you from Brandon. Uh, and uh, but we've got, gosh, a ton. Yeah, if you read the blog, go to <laughs> MikeNovak.net and read the blog. Please, you have to read the please blog. Please read the please. blog, please, please. For one thing, I need it for my Google Analytics. And two, we spent, it's like 2,300 words, okay? This is, I, it's like a term. Quality words. Quality words. And it's a term paper, basically. It's a term paper worth of stuff that we did uh, for for one show that's going to be two hours, and then it did, we everybody moves and on. And it lives on. And it lives on forever. So please read the blog. Please. Please. And we, what will they learn on the blog? Who's going to be on the show today? Well, here's what they will learn on the blog. One of the things that they will learn on the blog is, oh, and I thought I had it up. The Uh-oh. Right, I got the, no, I, I put the wrong one up, is science, because we're talking science today. Um, especially in the second hour, um, in the first hour too, because, uh, the science desk is here. Michelle Hoffman, uh, from uh, Columbia college and Roosevelt and school of art Institute is back. Well, she's not here in the studio today though. She's on the phone. She is hermetically sealed. She's also hermetically sealed under a tent somewhere. Um, and, uh, she's introducing us to Dr. R. Eric Collins from, uh, the University of Alaska at Fairbanks. And we're going to talk for permafrost. Yay. It's melting. Yay. So uh, we'll talk about what that means. Uh, that's going to be actually really, really interesting. Uh, in the first hour, Mitch McNeil from Surfrider Chicago. And you know you're in trouble when your oil and your, your chemical spills are detected by the guys who are surfing mm-hmm. Lake Michigan. That's the best we can do. now. And they're the ones trying to enforce it. I know it. And I don't want to denigrate them in any way because I'm so glad they're there. The Surfrider guys, but Mitch McNeil will be on the phone. They found out about a, a spill from U.S. Steel. And then U.S. Steel tried to hide it. Oh, this is not good. Okay, and then after that, Dr. Brian Lenz uh, from uh, something called... Um, Bird City, Wisconsin. Thank you, which I'm looking for here. I didn't see it. All right, it's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll be right back with all of that. Stick around. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural, professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing Products. 
that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at organicrootsecosalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. Here's the bad news. One out of every six Americans doesn't know where their next meal will come from. So what's the good news? You can help. This year, instead of decorating your holiday table with flowers, use an arrangement of fresh, uncut fruits and veggies, which can be then donated to a local food pantry. Share a photo of your centerpiece with the hashtag AmpleCenterpiece, and you could win a $50 gift certificate to Gardner's Supply Company. Go to ampleharvest.org holiday to learn more. Being a meteorologist, you see things daily that can be related or not related to climate change. And then you separate that from the climate science and the social policy. So it's almost like teaching three classes. The meteorology, which is short-term, the climate, which is long-term, and then the policy, which is government, whether or not it's federal, state, or local. I'm meteorologist Rick DeMaio. Stick around for some more insight into weather and climate on WCGO 1590, Chicago's Smart Talk. Tune in to French and Friends every Thursday night at 5.30 for Wildcat Weekly and get caught up on all things Northwestern sports. Brought to you by Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Check them out at fastsigns.com slash 80. They paid paradise and put up a fucking line With a pink hotel, a boutique, and a swinging hot spot I have no idea what he's talking about. What'd you call me? Uh, okay, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Very pleased to have on the phone with us a, a friend of the show, and that's uh, Mitch McNeil, who is with Surf Rider Chicago. Mitch, good morning. How are you? Good morning to Mike and Peggy. Good morning. Uh, we're we're everybody's on the phone today, so we're going to see how the phone lines hold up. Now you're not on speaker, are you? Uh, no. <laughs> I don't want to think if you were. Now, now, now he's not. Okay, I know how that works. Now he's not. Quick, hide the speaker. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, Mitch uh, has been on the show before. You. Uh, you're with the Surfrider Foundation, but also part of Surfrider Chicago. Explain Surfrider, would you please, Mitch? Uh, Surfrider got started back in the early '80s, uh, founded by a group of surfers who uh, were also vitally interested in environmental activism, and uh, they got involved in issues like water quality, uh, access to the beach and uh, other kind of related issues. And it just uh, mushroomed from there, and now it's kind of a global organization. We've got uh, three chapters here in the Great Lakes, and uh, they're scattered up and down both coasts and in the Gulf and over uh, you know, Europe, Africa, all over. So, and, and one of the things that I find amazing is that you guys are... Uh, true to your name, you actually surf, 
Lake Michigan, don't you? Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and as I was mentioning earlier, uh, this is, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. I, I, I guess we it should be a good thing because uh, anything where you can measure and, and keep track of the quality of our water is a good thing. But you would think that it wouldn't have to be guys on surfboards. But uh, but that's the way it works, isn't it, Mitch? Yeah, we're we're the uh, we're the scouts out ahead of the uh, the troops, lo- looking out into the wilderness with the canaries in the coal mines. <laughs> we uh, we see things before anyone else does because we're we're in that water. Yeah, and you're out there all the time, so it's it's kind of more obvious when something's different, when something's amiss. Right, and it, yeah, the. The surfing here is year-round. I mean, the winter is the best season for uh, surfing. Oh, so. ah, well, because of the prevailing winds and the, the height of the waves, that sort of thing? Yeah, the, the weather just gets more intense in the winter. Yeah, there, there were guys out <laughs> yesterday up north with their yeah. boards kind of staring at the lake trying to decide if they were going in or not. Oh, man. Yeah, and, and and you lather up in grease, right? No, nobody does that anymore. No, that's if you're down by U.S. Steel. But. Uh, I guess. Uh, and and so tell me what uh, what the surf rider discovered in Lake Michigan. Um, it's it, it was it you guys who who discovered this? How how did we find out about what's going on with U.S. Steel? Okay, um, about a year ago, uh, after hearing lots of anecdotes from fellow surfers about physical problems uh, arising from surfing in northwest Indiana, where where we go. That's kind of our destination number one locally because it's, that's the best place to find waves. I decided, along with a fellow surfer who happens to be a University of Chicago law professor, to undertake some fact-finding. And I have, so to, I, I have to stop you there. Was that Keith Harley by any chance? No. Oh, okay. Somebody, because I know Keith Keith is sometimes involved in these uh, legal matters, too. Okay, continue. Sorry. So, um, my friend Judith, the uh, law professor, was um, affiliated with the Abrams Environmental Law Clinic at UC. And she pulled them in, which means we had additional professors on our team and a cadre of law students who were anxious to roll up their sleeves and get involved. Mm -hmm. So we did some fact-finding, the results of which are on that map I sent you. Yeah, which I put on my website. You can go to MikeNovak.net, and if you look at this week's show, I got this little map that uh, that, uh, Mitch put together, and it's sort of highlights uh, the bad actors along the southern shore of Lake Michigan. It's pretty amazing. And people like Cargill, British Petroleum, uh, uh, Union Carbide, U.S. Steel, Gary Wastewater, Hammond Wastewater, Safety Clean, people like that. Yeah, so the uh, the map was just to give us a, a snapshot of, as you say, the, the bad actors. And uh, our intent was to share this information with the the surfing community so that they would know what it is they were surfing in. And then phase two was going to be to try to determine the the dangers to our health. And we were just about to uh, enlist the services of a a 
scientist when suddenly we realized that U.S. Steel had presented us with a whole new conundrum with uh, this incredible uh, violation mm-hmm. of the Clean Water Act uh, back in April. And that was a release of 765 pounds or, no, excuse me, 346 pounds of hexavalent chromium. And, uh, yeah, and that's uh, folks uh, who uh, are not familiar with hexavalent chromium, that is the substance that was mentioned in the the research of Aaron Brockovich and, of course, the subsequent film. Uh, and that's how that uh, particular uh, issue became famous. Uh, so now this is being dumped into Lake Michigan. And one of the things that happened, there's two things that happened. Once they, they did it in April, but from what I understand, they did it again in October – U.S. Steel dumped this, except they tried to get away with it. They they went to the state of Indiana and said, shh, 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 don't tell anybody, but we dumped some hexavalent chromium accidentally into Oops. the lake, and um, uh, please don't let anybody know. And these law students you were telling, telling us about at the University of Chicago uh, were going through some other paper, papers based, uh, you know, uh, 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 about a lawsuit that you guys want to file uh, accusing U.S. Steel of violating the Clean Water Act, and they found reference to this dump, and they brought it to light. Is that is that what happened, Mitch? Yeah, that's that's pretty much how it went down. Uh, the the second spill, which was quite a bit smaller than the first one, but the fact that they kept it secret, mm-hmm. and coincidentally, uh, the spill occurred right right before a, a big wave period. Uh, at uh, at the beach there, and so we had a lot of surfers in the water on the heels of that spill, which is just tragic. Yeah. It's highly carcinogenic, as uh, you know was indicated in in the film, and and as as folks know, uh, and as you said, nobody knew about it. So this is going out there. We have water intake pipes that are twenty miles from where this was released into the water. And memo to U.S. Steel, you don't get to dump stuff and then keep it quiet, okay? You don't get to go, shh, don't. Don't look. Be very, very quiet. We're dumping exochromium or whatever, you know. We're, you know, we're dumping it into Lake Michigan. Uh, and so uh, this came out, and now you have you have two issues. You've got the one you did in April, and then now this one that they tried. But you're still doing this lawsuit, which really— this is almost ancillary to the lawsuit, isn't it, Mitch? Uh, yeah, it's it just it's all part of a a larger picture with, mm-hmm. with U.S. Steel and their negligence and their inability to keep track of you know what they're doing and maintain their equipment. A lot of this uh, stems from some cost cutting measures that they instituted uh, last year, uh, as I understand. So they were they're making cutbacks and yeah. um, you know bad things happen when you're not paying attention. And they know no one's going to enforce it. Well, <laughs> that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, what, what do you mean? Well, well, explain that. Why are you laughing about that, Mitch? Well, there all these industries are allowed 
a certain amount of pollutant discharge every month. And, you know, that's why this corridor of northwest Indiana is uh, a haven for industry. You know, it's, it's necessary industry. It's part of mm-hmm. our economy, but you have to draw a line somewhere. And um, All right. they're you... allowed to put stuff in the water, but, uh, you know, I, why? I think... Why? That's my well, question. Why? It's a, okay. It's, it's an agreement that has uh, been drawn up between the EPA and the state of Indiana and all these, these industries. I mean, it, this goes back decades. I mean, before the Clean Water Act, they were allowed to put anything they wanted into the water, as much of. So now, so you know, and, and, and you're making a really good point, which is before the Clean Water Act, these guys, the bad act, and it's interesting, we call them, I'm looking at that map that you sent that's on my website, and I think, <clears throat> I think bad actor and, and some other people would as well. They're just thinking, hey, this is, we're just businesses. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is they're polluting 20% of the fresh water on the planet, basically. And they do it on a regular basis. And they have the okay from, from the federal government to do this because we, we, we allowed certain limits. You know, in my world, you're stopping, you're not going to dump anything. There's mm-hmm. nothing going to be in there because you can't get Lake Michigan back once it's ruined. Um, and uh, so it's, and the other, and then, then, then on top of it, we get a situation, Mitch, where you would think we would know when something like this happens, but we've got to get the guys on surfboards out there to sort of monitor the waters mm-hmm. and be be guinea pigs in a sense. You guys are guinea pigs out there if you're if you're surfing yeah. uh, where hexavalent chromium is in the water. Yeah, you're right. So and the place we surf is just right. Right next to uh, the, the water uh, outlet for U.S. Steel there in Portage. So Surfrider has uh, um, issued an intent to sue following the 60-day process of notification. Um, what's the next steps on this? Well, we, we are in the 60-day period, so it's, uh, uh, we wait. We, we wait for the other shoes to drop, and the other shoes are the possibility of other entities also jumping in and uh, taking legal action. Who would that be? The, Who would that, that would be, be the EPA. <laughs> now, oh, is, that, is that Region sorry. 5 suing, or is that uh, federal? You know, at the federal level, federal. or is it coming out of Region 5? Yeah, we're, I think uh, the U.S. EPA is kind of what we're, we're awaiting. And then there's a chance for uh, other municipalities. That's what I would get involved also. Can the can the city of Chicago sue? Can the state of Indiana, the state of Illinois yes. sue? Yes. Whiting, yes. Burns Harbor. Any any <laughs> are any of those uh, municipalities or governmental entities thinking about that? You know, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'll be interested to see what happens. Where anything could happen between now and uh, the end of this period. Uh, so this is it's kind of interesting to see. Wow. All right. All right. We've only got a, a, a short time here. And I and, and you came on the show at the last second. And we really appreciate you taking the time this morning because we saw this in the paper this week. And we said mm-hmm. we got to have Mitch on the show. Um, and but the other thing going on is in the Straits of Mackinac with the Enbridge Line five. 
which has been in the news for a couple of years, state of Michigan investigating it. Um, what is happening up there, Mitch, briefly? Briefly, uh, it's a very drawn-out process. And I, sometimes I feel like that's Cambridge's strategy is to, to wear us all out. Until it and, spills. Uh, <laughs> and play the long game. Um, you know, what, what's happened in the last year is there was a study done of the pipeline, and it was conducted by uh, uh, engineers who were friendly to Enbridge, and they, they came up and they gave it basically a passing grade. And then there was a period of public comment during the summer where we got uh, 23,000 votes against the pipeline, you know, let's decommission it. And that was an incredible uh, outpouring of mm-hmm. public activism, and that was our only uh, outlet for that. And then recently we've had discoveries that Enbridge was not forthcoming about the condition of the pipeline and that the uh, protective coating is wearing off. Much faster than they'd indicated. Yeah, after 64 years, it's disintegrating. I mean, wow, who knew that would happen? (laughs) Who could have predicted? Fancy that. I wrote that on Facebook about the uh, XL, uh, Keystone XL. It's like, it spilled this week. Who could have possibly known that was going to happen? Well, guess what, folks? We have a pipe going on in the Straits of Mackinac, and so we're attacking Lake Michigan from both ends. Yep. It's kind of uh, interesting that we've got we've got this, the lake surrounded here by by bad actors, and uh, all it takes is for one of them to lose control of their substance, whatever it is, and we're screwed for a long time. So uh, I see that this, we've only got like thirty seconds. The state of Michigan okay. is uh, state of Michigan. Are they going to do anything about this? I, I don't think they are. They, they kind of wagged their finger at Enbridge and asked for an apology. And then they're talking about possibly a, another study. And then Enbridge is also floating an idea of a, of a new tunnel to replace the old pipeline, which... <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> what could possibly happen dog. there? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Mitch McNeil from Surf Rider. Uh, we're going to have you back soon. Thanks so much for being All on the show. All right. Great to talk to you guys. Later. Here's the bad news. One out of every six Americans doesn't know where their next meal will come from. So what's the good news? You can help. This year, instead of decorating your holiday table with flowers, use an arrangement of fresh, uncut fruits and veggies, which can be then donated to a local food pantry. Share a photo of your centerpiece with the hashtag AmpleCenterpiece, and you could win a $50 gift certificate to Gardner's Supply Company. Go to ampleharvest.org slash holiday to learn more. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Chicagoans are looking for ways to get healthier in 2017. Hi, I'm Peggy, and I publish Natural Awakening, Chicago's greenest and healthiest local magazine. And if you want to reach this growing wellness market, you need to get your business in front of our 80,000 monthly readers. Why? Because our advertisers tell us our targeted readers are committed to improving their health and taking action. They're looking for holistic wellness practitioners, integrative doctors and dentists, nutritionists, health and lifestyle coaches, yoga classes, green landscapers, 
Even home improvement and energy efficiency experts. Our dedicated readers pick up their free copies each month from more than 1,100 locations throughout the city and suburbs because they know it's the best source for information about healthy, green living in Chicago. Call me today at 847-858-3697 to learn more. That's 847-858-3697. And check us out at nachicago.com. Natural awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. This is your talk. Hey, this place is really something else, huh? Only on 1590 WCGO. Evanston, Chicago. Here we go. Just a little pregnant pause there, okay. See, this is sort of a bridge between our past, our, our, Surfing. our the segment we just ended, which is the Surf Rider segment. And by the way, if you want more information about what Surf Rider is doing and you want to participate and read about uh, their efforts to keep our water clean, go to surfrider.org, and you can also go to Surfrider Chicago on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's not Surf City, but Bird City, USA, so that was the sort of the bad pun here leading into our conversation Ba-dum-bum. with, uh, or Dr. Brian Lenz, uh, who is the director of Bird City, Wisconsin, and chief scientist at the Western Great Lakes Bird and Bat Observatory in New Belgium, Wisconsin. Dr. Lenz, good morning. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, should we call you a doctor, or should we call you Brian? What Brian, t- Brian works. Bird guy, you know. Bird, <laughs> the bird dude. Bird man. Birdman, yeah, I used to study monkeys and be monkey boy. So Birdman works now. <laughs> You've moved up in the world. I have. Birdman of Milwaukee. <laughs> oh my goodness! So yeah, I mean, if you're if you're studying sloths, that would be really strange too. Okay, I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what they would call you. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, I'm so glad that you can be with us on the on on the show today uh, because uh, we we've talked about. Uh, protecting birds on the show not for a while it's very important and it's very difficult uh and uh one of the things uh peggy wrote a lovely little piece for uh the blog um about um how and you know it's not lovely that birds are disappearing but and because they are and it was in north america there was a study done that we've lost a billion birds in how long a time, Peggy, do you remember? Since 1970. Since 1970. It's more than a billion. More than a billion. You know, and it's, hey, you know, I guess we could pat ourselves on the back. It's not like the passenger pigeon where we wiped out, you know, four or five billion in a matter of 40 years. We're, we're doing it slower now, but we're still, they're still disappearing, aren't they, uh, Brian? Uh, yeah, they definitely are. I think the most recent numbers show that there are about a third of the species in North America need conservation action. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the annual numbers of birds that are lost due to human activities is a lot higher than a billion. The billion is kind of an estimate of, you know, the average change over time that is directly related to us. Um, but, you know, the, the newest research, research shows that cats kill 2.4 billion birds a year in the United States. Window collisions kill another 600 million. Um, so we're talking about pretty big numbers. Here. Yeah, and, and and I've had this discussion on my show in the past, and one of the things that happens is that you start bringing cats 
into the conversation, and people get a little wacky. They, um, there, there are folks out there who uh, are trying to protect cats and deal with feral cats, and then there are the house cats. Uh, but you just have to, you have to look at it clear-eyed. You have to go in and say, look, cats are killing more birds than anything else right now and uh unless we deal with that somehow and i don't know how we do it what would be your solution for for dealing with uh cat kills well it's a difficult problem because almost everybody likes cats i I like cats too um but i phrase the the problem a little differently than you do um you know outdoor cats is bad for human health because they transmit diseases like toxoplasmosis to people um so if you've ever been pregnant the doctor tells you don't garden and don't clean the litter box, and that is so you don't get toxo, which can uh, cause birth defects. Um, and I think the numbers show about 20% of people in the United States have that, and the only way you get that is through um, a feral cat at some point in your food chain. Um, it's also bad for the cats. They live shorter, really difficult lives if they're outside. You know, a lot of people say, oh, I let my cat out, and then it didn't come home. Well, it was probably hit by a car. Yeah. Um, and the cats that spend 100% of their time outside have all kinds of other health issues that go with those kind of threats. And then it's bad for birds and wildlife. Um, you know, the, the bird number is 2.4 billion birds a year, but if you look at mammals, it's 12 billion. And that, wow. that's just in the United States. So for a little perspective, if you count it to 2.4 billion, it would take you 76 years if you didn't stop. Wow. And so, unlike habitat change or habitat loss and climate change and some of the other big issues you know we know the answer to this one which is keep your cat inside and don't support outdoor cat colonies yeah and you know keeping your cat inside doesn't even cost anything so um there there are answers and it's just a matter of getting education out and trying to get everybody on the same page and realize that you know Everybody cares about cat welfare, and everybody should also care about um, wildlife welfare. Yeah, and I don't want to—I don't want to get uh, caught up in this because I want to talk about uh, Bird City, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, this is all part of the issue. Uh, when you mention other animals, what other animals are are killing birds? Um, like in the natural cycle of things. Yeah. Well, other birds kill birds. <laughs> well, well, that's true. I, I get a, I get a lot of calls. There's this. Cooper's hawk that keeps picking the birds off of my feeder, and I just tell everybody, well, you're feeding all of the birds with your feeder. Mm. Um, so, you know, there are, there are other birds. <laughs> um, it depends on the yeah, size they, of they, the bird. They you know? sit there looking for the morning doves. Yeah. The Cooper's hawks they, on the top of a house, and they just wait for them. You don't get to have the say in what a Cooper's hawk is going to go after and not go after. You really don't, do Right. You? Well, and if you like birds, you should like Cooper's hawks, too, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and they, they actually have figured out um, how to use one of the other um, human-introduced threats, which is windows. And Cooper's hawks will actually drive birds into windows and then grab them on the rebound after the bird hits the window or come back and pick it off the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so speak- they've learned that that's a tool they can use. And speaking of that, that takes us to uh, Bird City, Wisconsin, and, and what you're trying to do there, uh, because I'm thinking of Chicago, uh, uh, Kathleen Parrish, who's, watching us live on uh, Facebook. Hey, Kathleen. 
Uh, I'll try to get the microphone out of my face. How's that? Uh, and she's, uh, she says, it's heartbreaking when a bird crashes into a window you freshly cleaned. Um, and, uh, but there's, there's not a lot you can do if it's set up that way. I mean, it's one of the things in the 21st century that architects have to be aware of. So before we get to the, the, the idea of, of buildings in specific, uh, in particular, uh, in bird death, let's talk about what you're trying to accomplish with Bird City. Um, bird City is designed to provide really highly visible recognition for communities that take um, good actions to support um, education and conservation in their communities, especially as they're focused on birds, but also now more especially that we redid our criteria, um, that they're focused on things that will help birds even if it's indirectly. So we added some, some pollinator habitat kind of um, suggested actions uh, because the birds need that too. Um, so we have a, a list of criteria, and you have to meet at least eight of the 65 to become a bird city. There's a second level, which is high flyer, where you have mm-hmm. to meet those same eight plus another six, but those are more difficult. Um, and then you're in the, the high flyer level of the program. And the criteria are kind of a, a tool to introduce people to new things that they can do that they might not have ever heard of before. And uh, once you're in the program, then we work with communities to help them start checking more boxes and increase their partnerships um, and bring resources together when there is a problem in a, a local community to see if we can help help solve it. If you're asking these municipalities to meet only eight of 65 criteria, it seems like the bar is set kind of low. Is that the case, or are those are those eight criteria very specific? Uh, they are fairly specific, so, and um, it, the initial application before we revised it was 7 of 22, mm-hmm. and then High Flyer had a second application, which was 5 of 17. Yeah. And so when we redid it, we rolled all of those together into one because I wanted to make sure that we were exposing everybody to thinking about all of the things they could check on both applications rather than having them be separate. So, mm-hmm. so what sort of criteria are we looking at that a city has to meet? Um, well, there are the six categories right now are habitat creation, protection, and monitoring is number one. Mm-hmm. Number two is community forest management. Number three is limiting or removing threats to birds. Number four is public education. Number five is energy and sustainability, which is kind of designed to get at um, the climate issue, which I believe is next up on your show. Uh, And then the last one is International Migratory Bird Day, um, which has a different theme every year, uh, but is a one-day educational event that you are supposed to hold in your community. And we accept a wide range of different events. It could be as simple as a guided bird walk. Some places have two- or three-day long bird festivals. Um, And then your community has to vote on and pass a resolution that recognizes that officially. It can't be a proclamation. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually has to receive a vote. Good for you. Uh, and, all right, go ahead. And then once they are recognized, you guys work with them. Um, you know, I, I, one of the big things is the celebration, the public acknowledgement, so that what they get a plaque. Um, what else does the city get? Yeah, so right now there are 107 bird city communities in Wisconsin because we recognize um, cities, villages, 
towns and counties. We also recognize sovereign nations, although we don't have one yet. Um, we're, we're hope, I'm hoping to get one in the next year. Um, so for each of those 107, we have made a in-person award presentation to the community. So we have gone however many hours it took. Sometimes it's a little funny because you're in the car for four hours, out of it for 20 minutes, and then mm -hmm. back in the car. <laughs> uh, but it is worth it because they really appreciate, um, you know, the fact that we care enough to show up. And at that award ceremony, we kind of introduce Bird City to all of the elected officials and tell them about some of the good things that are going on in their community, suggest some new things they could do, and then present them with two street signs to hang one at each entrance to the community. Um, obviously, for the larger communities, there are more than two entrances, mm -hmm. but um, we make more available <laughs> if they'd like to purchase them. They get a flag, uh, a plaque, which every year we send a new insert that updates their current uh, bird city status, which is you need to renew every year. Yeah. Uh, we hand out a number of brochures on cats, window collisions, and bird city. Uh, a copy of Owen Grammy's Birds of Wisconsin uh, as well. All right. Uh, that's Dr. Brian Lentz uh, from Bird City, Wisconsin. I love the idea of, uh, hey, you got an entrance to the city and you got an exit. We'll put a sign on each side. Uh, but there are some cities like that. Uh, we're going to talk more about Bird City, Wisconsin. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we will be right back. Hey, Ron Cowgill. Yes, Mike Novak. How would you like to drive the safest, quickest, and most capable sports utility vehicle in history? Legally? Of course legally. In fact, you would own it. Legally? Stop saying that. I'm talking about the Illinois Solar Energy Association, which is raffling off a 2017 Tesla Model X. You mean the one that comes standard, all-wheel drive, seating for up to seven adults, and up to 295 miles of range on a single charge? Yes. The one that can accelerate from zero to 60 in 2.9 seconds? Yes. How did you know that? I'm reading the script. Oh, well, then you probably know that only 2,500 tickets will be sold. They're 100 bucks each. You can purchase as many as you like, and the drawing is December 7th. Do I have to be present to win? Nope. Do I have to live in Illinois? Nope, just the lower 48 states. Is this the part where we read the disclaimer stuff really, really fast? Nah, this is where we tell people to get details at IllinoisSolar.org. You're good. Yeah. DNR Services Unlimited has been serving the north and northwest suburbs since 1992. They can take care of those little problems that never get done. They perform complete bathroom, basement, and kitchen remodels. And if you're looking for a complete home makeover, they can handle that too. Visit their website at RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. That's RestoreTheNorthShore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Yeah, how's the demo going, Jim? It's going good, boss. You know, there's a lot of great material here. Where are we going to bring it? To the landfill. Where else? Seems like a bit of a waste. Maybe we should call up the Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. The what? The Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. You know, the place where you can donate reclaimed and reusable items for a tax deduction. Oh. And then people can buy those materials for their renovation or creative reuse projects. Well, what are we waiting for? Call them up. Sure, you can get all the info at Evanston. Whoa, Re whoa, whoa. You do it. I'm the boss. The Evanston Rebuilding Warehouse. Online at evanstonrebuildingwarehouse.org. Tune in to Chicago History and Automotive Heaven, Sundays at 12 noon with Richie Z, right here on WCGO AM 1590. Make a little bird house in your soul, not to put too fine a pine on it. Say I'm the only bee in your bonnet. Make a little bird house in your soul. 
That's exactly what we're doing here on the Mike Novak Show on a Sunday morning. Uh, you you can make that your theme if you want, uh, Dr. Brian Lenz. Uh, he's from Bird City, Wisconsin, and uh, we're talking about what is a, a basically a, a terrific program, brand new um, in the scheme of things. You guys have been around since, what, 2009, right? Yeah, we launched in 2009 and began recognizing communities in 2010. And I get the sense that... This is just on the verge of taking off nationally and perhaps internationally. Um, during the break, we were talking about uh, the various cities you've brought into it and the awards you give, and those of uh, folks listening on Facebook Live caught that conversation. But I, I, love, I love the idea that you're rewarded by introducing people. Could you explain that a little bit, uh, Brian? Well, part of the... The fun of going to do those award presentations is I often get to communities, go through my spiel and thank everybody and kind of suggest new actions. And then at the end, everybody comes and introduces themselves to me. And then after they introduce themselves to me, pretty frequently they introduce themselves to each other, um, which is really fun to see uh, because you've got people who have the same passions, work on the same issues, and are, in some cases, almost neighbors, and they've never met each other before. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, there are 20-minute, 40-minute, hour-long conversations about all the cool things they should be working on together that wouldn't have happened without that bird city status. That's great stuff. And and uh, like I said, I, I just see this thing uh, taking off, so you better get ready to be uh Going, fly, so to speak, flying all flying over. globally. Oh, uh, globally, yeah. I'm yes. working on it actually. <laughs> so, and and you're going to be down here uh, Tuesday night uh, for Lake Cook Audubon meeting, and it's up on MikeNovak.net. But uh, Lake Cook Audubon meeting at Heller Nature Center in Highland Park. So, what's that program about? Are you looking to bring the program into Illinois? Um, well, they invited me to kind of provide, a, kind of along the lines of what we're talking about today. An introduction to Bird City um, with a little bit more in-depth uh, discussion of some of the things that happen around the state and how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have worked actively to spread Bird City. There is now a Bird City, Minnesota program. There is a program in Indiana called Bird Town, Indiana. Uh, Iowa has one called Bird Friendly Iowa, and I'm working with the people in Texas to create um, a program there as well. And have other conversations about the potential to have uh, an international platform to do this. Uh, and uh, one of the other things we, we briefly talked about uh, in the break, and I want folks to be aware of, is that you know you've got Milwaukee in South Milwaukee on uh, uh, major metropolitan areas on the list. At least that's your goal. Let's look at Chicago for a second and maybe do a little comparison here. Uh, Milwaukee has some of the same problems that Chicago has, which is uh, large buildings, and, mm-hmm. and as we know, birds fly into them and kill themselves or stun themselves, and then you have to uh, have groups like uh, the Chicago Bird Collision Monitors, uh, which um, I, I'm very fond of. Uh, and yeah, you they're also, great. Yeah, and, uh, and I know they're in other cities as well. Uh, and then in, in Chicago, there's a Lights Out Chicago program, which is meant to help birds by dimming the lights in the evening. That's a great program. And yet we had this news story a few weeks ago about the new Apple building on the Chicago River and birds were flying into it because of all the things they did, they had glass 
walls from uh, two stories tall, put trees on the inside of the building and lighted them and, at night. Oh, and perfect. wondered why the birds hit it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, there, there, the collisions issue is tough because there are a lot of variables. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, if you look at the majority of bird strikes, most of them are in the first three floors of the building. But that's because every building has the first three floors, and there are a lot more buildings that have three floors than there are that have 80. Um, The proximity to habitat, where you put your bird feeders, how the lighting is, what the reflection looks like, you know, there's a really long list of things. But there are ways that we know to lessen the problem. Um, We use a product called ABC's Bird Tape, the American Bird Conservancy, and put it on some problem windows at a building here. And it went from several strikes a week during migration to, in the last two years, two. Uh, and wow. what and what is that tape? Uh, it's just a, it looks kind of like scotch tape, and you have to put it in vertical or horizontal lines yeah. that are spaced appropriately so the bird thinks it can't fly through. Mm-hmm. And they just see that it's a window, and they know they can't fly through it. There are UV stickers you can put on because some birds see ultraviolet. Um, you can also put on... Um, little dot patterns, so there'll be a, a window decal that just has a little dot pattern, which is enough to make the bird recognize it's a window. There are all kinds of things you can do. The hard part is getting in with the architects and the designers before they are finished, because then it becomes more difficult. Well, yeah, that's that's where I was going to go with it. I'm glad you brought that up. The That sounds like Band-Aid approach to do these stickers, that sort of thing. We need to work with architects. Uh, yeah, and, and, no, and designers, and what what have we learned? Is is that being done in our modern architecture? Um, the American Bird Conservancy has um, helped to design a program with LEED, which is from the the U.S. Green mm-hmm. Building Council's um, kind of energy safe green building certification program, and it's actually really really detailed and a big deal. And they added a pilot credit for window collision reduction. You have to address the lighting and the amount of uplighting, so the sky lighting you've got. Uh, You have to have a certain combination of uh, glazing and reflectivity. So the the glass on the building, some of it will have to be etched or fritted if there's a ton of of glass. And then you have to monitor it for two or three years after it's done so they can see what is working and what isn't and tweak it to to improve it because the the data set is the limiting factor here um you know i mentioned all of the variables well it's hard to go out and find people like the collision monitors who are willing to monitor enough buildings to um, come up with a, a scientific way of looking at this well but they do i mean you you have that data right they, they, they do they monitor a lot but they are monitoring in downtown chicago um, and a lot of these are programs are volunteer-based, and mm-hmm. when you're in downtown, you're not monitoring in the suburbs, and you're not monitoring where the Apple building is. <laughs> and, you know, so it's, it's difficult to get all of the lighting and habitat variables to go in with any of these monitoring programs. Yeah, it was interesting when, when I was doing some research that uh, Cory Booker and uh, his introduced into the Senate and then in the House, um, it was also introduced a couple of bills for federal buildings to design them bird-friendly. Yeah, and if you start at the, at the beginning, I've, I've been working with architects in the Milwaukee area trying to get this to be in the initial packet you hand somebody when they come to you and say, I want you to build me a building. Put this in there as a way they can make it green. 
because relative to the cost of the building, it's not very expensive to, to have your building be bird safe. And of course, that will never drop the problem to zero. Right. It'll uh, just but reduce we're, it. we just want to reduce it as much as possible. But we have to have them aware of it in the first place. I mean, that's that's where it needs to start. And 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 again, I'm I'm maybe you know, I, I would I would hope that there are uh, laws and design laws that that you have to adhere to to create those uh, effectively. Yeah, right now there are a few cities that have uh, light, like a lights out program, mm-hmm. um, like Chicago's got one. There are only a few though that actually require you know bird safe buildings. Toronto is one. Well, see, that's San that's Francisco where we have to stop. See, that's the problem right there. All all cities, you know, anytime you build a building, it has to be bird safe. End of story. Done. Okay, and that's the way we have to move forward. Uh, we're we're about out of time, and that's my opinion. I'm the radio guy. Uh, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Brian Lenz, hey, let's do this again. If you're in town, would you come to the studio and, and talk to us? Yeah, I would be happy to. Uh, Bird City, Wisconsin, you can go to the website, which is? Uh, birdcitywisconsin.org, and we are going to have a brand new website in about three weeks. Great. And you have a Facebook page, too, right? Yes, we do. Yep. Bird City, Wisconsin, and you will find it. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Mowacki. We'll be right back. Captain's log, stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf, status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables. We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wolf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at aroundtheblockpress.com. Aroundtheblockpress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Call us with your questions and comments at 847-475-1590. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. Whenever my head starts to hurt, before it goes from bad to feeling worse, I turn off my phone, I get down low, and put my hands in the dirt. I try to stop the world from moving so fast. Try to get a good bone where I'm at. Welcome back. And, uh, you know, I forgot to mention in the first hour that, of course, Rick DeMaio will be here today. He will be here later this hour at uh, 1049. So uh, stick around for that, and we'll find out uh, what's, what's happening. Go- what's out going there. on in the wonderful world of weather? Did you do your homework? That the assignment that uh, Rick DeMaio uh, gave to us, sort of. Uh, me too. I read part of it. Actually, <laughs> which is what I did in school anyway. It's like you read part of it, and then <laughs> enough so you can ask one question, and then you look like you read stuff. Well. And I think I read the executive summary when the report first came out. Oh. And then well, when I was looking back at it going, 
Oh, I skimmed this already. I Next. Don't, I don't remember this. Oh, no, that's what would have been me. I would have said, I don't remember this. Ah. Um, by the way, it's that time of year when you go from proving that you can kill outdoor plants to showing how to kill them indoors, too. Uh-oh. If that sounds like you, I suggest the November-December issue of Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. There's a story called Plants of Steel, where you'll learn about plants that even you can't kill. Well, not easily. Things like cast iron plant and snake plant and spider plant and other things that will keep you up at night. Maybe they have their holidays mixed up. I think they, they, they're confusing Halloween with Christmas. And speaking of scary things like Christmas, have you read my column on the Inside Back page lately? Mm-hmm. Yep. You have? Mm-hmm. Well, then you read my own holiday horror story, Twas the Night Before Solstice. And guess what? Somehow... Sometime during the holiday season, we're going to do a a, a live, a live read of uh, that. Maybe not a live, maybe even a recorded one. It's going to be part of the festivities for the but holiday. I think we need to bring your one from last year in too. Uh, oh, some of the Christmas carols. Yeah. Oh, I'm not singing any of that. No, no, the live read. Oh, okay. Uh, Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state by state gardening magazines. Go to chicagolandgardening.com. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600, A couple of things here. Uh, one is that uh, you might remember that uh, we had a great conversation last Sunday with Alderman Scott mm-hmm. Wagesback. Um, and uh, a lot of you saw it because we got a lot of views on uh, on the Facebook uh, video, unfortunately, because of my technical issues this week, the podcast is not up, but it will be up, I, I hope, today. We're, we're building anticipation. And Brandon, I need to talk to you about that later. <laughs> um, well, that got a couple likes right uh, there. Yeah, right there. I mean, Scott, run for mayor, dude. Run, Scotty, run. <laughs> so we've got to make sure that he does. Uh, and one of the things he talked about is all this leaf drop and that the the leaf or the street cleaning had stopped, stops, mm-hmm. you know, with the beginning of, of, I don't know if it was the beginning of November or last week or whenever. And he said it was done. And then I saw this week I got notices from my own alderman um, that the uh, street sweeping is uh, continuing through December 8th. And part of the reason, and they, in, in congratulations to the city of Chicago for figuring it out, that uh, we had a very late leaf drop. I mean, we've been talking about it, and we had Dr. Rex Bastian talking about why the trees are, the leaves were still green and they were dropping late and that sort of thing. Uh, the 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 upshot is they're all over the streets, and they could be there all winter, turning into mush. However, the city of Chicago, good for them. Give them a ding. Uh, is going to be. Uh, street sweeping until the 8th of December, so that's a good thing. Yeah, it says its fleet of 50 sweepers will remain in each ward. So I'm very happy to hear that because uh, we're still getting leaf drop out there. Typically ends each year on the Friday prior to Thanksgiving, according to the Six Wards website. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Uh, And then the other thing is that uh, we did this thing uh, on Thursday, which was pretty cool, which was the... um, Clean It Up Tyson campaign. It was a forum, clean water, clean food forum um, at uh, Beguile Brewing Company, presented by Mighty Earth Chicago. And we had some great folks there 
on the on the mm-hmm. panel and uh, talked about the issue of too much nitrogen in our fertilizer and ending up in our lakes and streams and creating dead zones and creating issues up and down the food chain. Yeah, coming especially from all of the industrial grains, corn and soy, that are grown for the big uh, big ag meat production. And it was it's it's the start of a big campaign. You can go to MikeNovak.net. Um, actually, you can go to our Facebook page, The Mike Novak Show, and see the video from that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we've got the video. I had a lot of folks look at that. And the other thing I wanted to let folks know is that Mighty Earth... You can go to, I think it's .org. I'm, I want to make sure here that I have the right thing. And if Yeah, my, the, the, the Mystery Meat 2 right. yeah. uh, PDF Mighty, you can download MightyEarth.org. If you go there, uh, you can see uh, a report that they did about how much excess nitrogen is in our water, and it's in the fertilizers, and it's going, you know. Yeah, into the of, Gulf. Yeah, it's going to the Gulf. And, and we talked several weeks ago about excess phosphorus, and that's also part of the problem. That's going to Lake Erie, all of it. It's like, it's a magnet. Lake ah. Erie. No, it's, it's, it's everywhere. You can, yeah, you've and, got and algae builds up all over the And it's agricultural drain tile. There's a lot of it in both cases. So yeah. uh, the upshot is... Use less fertilizer, please. Okay, the science desk. We're talking permafrost. It's disappearing. Yay. We'll be right back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Here's the bad news. One out of every six Americans doesn't know where their next meal will come from. What's the good news? You can help. This year, instead of decorating your holiday table with flowers, use an arrangement of fresh, uncut fruits and veggies, which can be donated to a local food pantry. Share a photo of your centerpiece with the hashtag AmpleCenterpiece, and you could win a $50 gift certificate to Gardner Supply Company. Go to ampleharvest.org holiday to learn more. A good day's gardening can sometimes be a bad day for your muscles and joints. Dr. Bonnie Flaster is a chiropractor who uses gentle, non-force adjustments to relieve pain. With 29 years of experience, she relies on a variety of treatments, including low-level laser, acupuncture, and gentle chiropractic. Visit her at River North Wellness Center and find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color perms and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne keratin smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847-423-2653. Health and beauty, you no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. This is your talk. We're going to be here for a long time. Only on 1590 WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. Oh, little Jack. Fr- 
Frost, get lost, get lost. Little Jack Frost, get lost. You know you don't do a thing but put the bite on my toes. Freeze up the ground and take the bloom from the rose. Oh, little Jack okay. Frost. Okay. I am thinking this is the most derivative <laughs> song I've ever heard in my life, and it's a good thing that it did not become a hit. Well, you can tell why it didn't become a hit, because who would listen to this? And it's Peggy Lee and Bing Crosby, but wow, it's just Derivative like, drivel? It is, derivative drivel. So, But it's sort of a, a preview of what's coming up uh Next week, because we will be smack. Boy, that got a lot of reactions. <laughs> I don't know. Smack uh, in the holiday season. And let's bring in uh, the science. Well, it's time for the science desk, so we must have Michelle Hoffman. Uh, wait, she's not in the studio. What's? What? I'm here. No, you're not. You're not really there. <laughs> I'm an apparition. She's looking through her microscope at us. A disembodied. I see you. <laughs> A disembodied voice there is what we're getting. Uh, oh, that's right. You're looking. Are you looking on uh, on the Facebook Live thing? Of course I am. Okay. Hi, Michelle. Have you got hello, your hello? Have you got your microscope there too as well? Of course I do. Of course. You do. See, once we get that cool new system set up in here, we're going to be able to have her up on the uh, screen. Too. Are you in your jammies and? Uh... Uh, <laughs> pretty much. Got your cup of hot tea. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, uh, well, uh, we're happy to have you. you. You heard the song. It's about the, uh, the frost and the permafrost and we couldn't find a song about permafrost. So that's, that's one of the reasons that, uh, we, we had to go with the one, the derivative song that we had. Uh, well, you know, we're actually having more trouble finding real permafrost, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, once you lose the permafrost you have, I don't think you get it back at least, uh, not readily. Uh, that seems to be the direction we're headed. Uh, before we bring in uh, our guest, uh, Dr. R. Eric, Eric Collins, um, you got anything to report, uh, Michelle? Well, you know, he's, uh, he's really the expert, but, you know, through the work that I've been doing in Alaska, this is a resounding issue that the scientists have resonated with me. And so I thought, man, you know, we really need to talk about this on the show because I think this is one of the lesser impacts of climate change that isn't being discussed as much as it should be. Well, and so yeah. now's the time. Yeah. Well, then let's do that. Let's let's go to the phone line. Uh, Dr. R. Eric Collins, uh, who's an assistant professor of biological oceanography at University of Alaska Fairbanks, College of Fisheries and Ocean Sciences. Good morning. Now, do we call you R? Do we call you Eric? Do we call you REC? What What's the uh, the proper way to address you? Uh, you can just call me Doctor. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Doctor. Uh, or Eric works also. Okay. Hi, I think you. we'll I think we'll go with Eric. What, what What time is it in Alaska right now? It's seven. Okay. It's early. I am not so- too bad, except that it's on a Sunday, and my coffee stand wasn't open yet. So. Uh oh. Oh. <laughs> the sacrifices you make for science, Eric. Tell me about it. <laughs> exactly. And uh, I think this is interesting because we talk uh, uh, about uh, climate change on the planet. And if you're in Chicago, it's one thing. If you're in Miami, it's another thing. If you're in California, it might, you know, we're, we're talking floods. We're talking uh, rain events. We're talking drought. We're talking fires. Um and yet, I would say most people only have the vaguest idea of what permafrost is 
and what's happening to the perm- permafrost up there. I did. You sent some terrific articles that I was perusing, uh, and it's affecting people in their everyday lives up in Alaska. And yet we we really have no idea what what that's all about. So, give me a sort of an overview of of the what permafrost is and why it's important. Permafrost is uh, pretty simply defined as any soil that's been frozen for two or more years. So that can be something that's frozen for two years or frozen for 8 million years. And uh, it depends on where it is, but uh, it can be just a few feet deep or it can be thousands of feet deep. So uh, there are places in Siberia, for example, where the permafrost goes down a mile. And there are places in Alaska where it's just the top few feet and it's melting very rapidly. So one of the ways that people first find out about permafrost in Fairbanks is that you're driving down the road, and if you don't have good shocks, then your car goes boom, 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 boom because the roads are buckling mm-hmm. as the permafrost melts under them. It's am- the other way people in Fairbanks run into it is that you try to buy a house and you go and look at it and it's crooked because half of the house is under permafrost that's melted and half is under permafrost that hasn't melted yet. And so uh, all these houses that were built in the 70s during the oil boom are all basically crumbling at this point. It's uh, And it is fascinating. I, I have to tell you, one of the things that I learned in my research is that if you're in Alaska and you talk about leveling a house, Mm -hmm. you're not talking about tearing it down. You're talking about literally taking a level (laughs) and trying to get it back to level. Uh, And that's because a lot of these buildings there are sinking as the permafrost melts and that creates a serious problem. I mean, that's, it's keeping a lot of contractors in business, but it can't be really good for the population in general, Eric? No, and in some places, like outlying villages, it's even worse because their airport, where they get a lot of their um, supplies, has the same problem. And so you have a hard time landing planes there, and it makes it more difficult and expensive to maintain and um, and just makes life harder for people in, in the villages. Yeah, I was reading you that. actually... Um, spoke about one of those airports in particular. Was it pronounced Tununak or Tununak? Tununak, yeah. Yeah, and one of the things that's so scary is if they can't fly things in there, then, you know, people who rely on medicine, I mean, this is, they talked about grocery shelves being empty, and I don't think that that's something that a lot of people in a place like Chicago can relate to, not being able to get medicine that you need as life support. Yeah, there are no roads to huge areas in Alaska, and so everything has to come by ship or by um, by airplane. Or in the winter, sometimes you can take things over land mm-hmm. once the swamps are frozen, basically. But but generally, it's it's a very time-consuming process to get things to those places. It is, uh, and and the 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 story that Michelle's referring to uh, was in the Anchorage Daily News. Uh, and the headline is, Citing Safety Concerns, Airlines Refuse to Fly to Permafrost Damaged Tunanek Airport. And um, this just happened. The uh, the uh, It's dated October 12th, so this is a month ago. And uh, it, the story starts, about a year ago, Tunanek opened a $19 million state-of-the-art airport, but now local airlines are refusing to fly there. 
the village's shifting permafrost is buckling the runway, and Raven, Alaska, and Grant Aviation say it's too dangerous for pilots to land on it safely. Now, here's here's the part that, that gets me, and it relates to a story we did earlier on the show today. Uh, uh, the story uh, in the Anchorage Daily News goes on, according to Gordon Tester, Tunanak's school principal, which I think is very interesting to have the school principal as the spokesperson, <laughs> the airport has been effectively shut down since October 5th, Residents weren't really told what was happening. We were calling the airlines and asking when the next plane was coming in, Tester said, and they just said, they're not landing until further notice. Well, then you have to ask, well, what is further notice? It was only then, said Tester, that Tunanek residents discovered that Raven and Grant had stopped flying to their village altogether. That's not good in terms of transparency Mm -hmm. of the the airport or the airlines or the government. I mean, and earlier we were talking about spilling into Lake Michigan and U.S. Steel not revealing that they had spilled uh, chemicals into, you know, chromium in, into Lake Michigan. We need transparency, folks, because uh, people's lives are at stake here. Uh, but that's sort of that's another issue away from the permafrost. The idea being that and I and I have a link to another story from the Anchorage Daily News, and it shows the road. In Bethel. In Bethel. Uh, and it's you can't believe what that road looks like uh, because it's shifting all the time. It's it's just bump after bump after bump. So uh, this is a very serious stuff, isn't it, Eric? Yeah, another problem people have been having is uh, in the villages where they do the whale hunt in the fall and the spring, uh, they store a lot of their food from that hunt in underground cellars in the permafrost. Mm. And they've been doing that for thousands of years. And this subsistence hunt is extremely important for the welfare of the villages. People eat this um, all winter, and it's a huge part of their sustenance. So one of the things that's happening is that where this food is being stored is melting because it's in the permafrost. And so they have these cellars. They've had to redig them or abandon them altogether in order to... Um, to keep their meat frozen for the for the winter and that's uh, and the summer and that's not something that they've ever had to do before and it causes all sorts of potential problems with um, bacteria that might grow on the meat mm-hmm. or otherwise spoil it um, mm-hmm. so it's a, it's a food sustainability issue too I, and uh, and by the way that uh, <laughs> that, that is Dr. Eric Collins uh, from the University of Alaska, Fairbanks College of Fisheries and Ocean Sciences. The other thing that I and I and I I have to admit I'm we there are serious things about permafrost that we'll get into uh, uh, in a second, such as carbon sequestration. I, I wish I could say the word. Uh, and uh, but I was fascinated by the idea that people who are who are trying to level homes there and are digging posts in the ground are trying to figure out ways to take the heat that's going into the permafrost and remove it uh, mm-hmm. so that the ground mm-hmm. will stay frozen. Here in Chicago, you might, if, if you've got heat escaping your house underneath it, you go, oh, well, it's going to warm up the earth underneath. Big deal. Um, there, that's a that creates problems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when, when, they're cre- when they're putting these homes up, 
they're they're putting coils and other things to keep the ground cold, which I find really fascinating and I had never heard of before. Yeah, they're talking about the new hospital going in a ground loop cooling system to keep mm-hmm. the ground frozen. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people when they build houses, they just build them on stilts. So then you can um, raise the house above the permafrost so that it's not melting the permafrost. Yeah. Uh, there's an entire cold climate housing research center here at the UAF campus where they have a demonstration building where they've incorporated thousands of sensors and all these different technologies to measure and um, understand how you need to build in a cold climate in order to prevent this kind of thing from happening. Now, I don't want to be insensitive about this, Eric, Mm -hmm. but we're not talking about huge populations. We're talking, I mean, in terms of percentage of world population, that mm-hmm. that lives uh, on or near permafrost, it can't be very big. Do you have any sense of that? Well, the biggest cities where people live with permafrost are in Siberia. There's uh, one city there, I think, that's maybe uh, a couple hundred thousand people. But no, in general, there's a pretty low population density. Fairbanks is only like 50 or 60,000, really. And now, is Fairbanks itself... Uh, on permafrost or near it? Well, it's in a zone called discontinuous permafrost, where you have patches of permafrost and patches of of thawed soil. And a lot of times you can tell what kind of soil you're on by looking at the trees, because there are certain trees that prefer growing on permafrost and certain trees that prefer growing on thawed soil. So we have these black spruce, the kind of scraggly, sickly-looking trees that grow where there's a lot of permafrost, and then you get the nice birch and aspen that grow on the thawed soil, mm-hmm. usually on the south, southern-facing slope. Yeah, uh, and and that tells me something right there, because when I think of permafrost, I think of vast expanses of no trees. of Tundra. Of, of, yeah, tundra and land and, and puddles of water where it's melted or, or where it's frozen. Uh, and the other thing you, you, you explained to me that I didn't realize was that permafrost can be anywhere, as you said, from two feet— thick to um, to miles thick, which I wasn't aware of. I didn't realize that the definition of it included permafrost that could be that thin. Yep. Any any soil that's frozen for a couple of years can qualify as, as permafrost. Um, and the ones we're most worried about are those are those thinner ones because they're the ones that are melting the fastest. Yeah. And 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 that's where we get into issues that go beyond the idea of putting a house on stilts and how far do you do do you bury it and how do you how do you level it? Now we're talking about carbon release, uh, methane release. Mm-hmm. Uh, these have been carbon sinks for hundreds of thousands of years, maybe longer, and now we're witnessing something that humanity has never seen before, which is the melting of the permafrost. Is that right, Eric? Yeah, permafrost and stores an enormous amount of carbon in the global carbon cycle. Mm-hmm. And it's the same as putting it in your fridge to prevent spoilage of food. Uh, putting carbon in permafrost in the Arctic or the, um, not so much the Antarctic, but mostly in the Arctic, is the, the same thing. It prevents the degradation of that organic carbon for thousands or in some cases millions of years and prevents the release of of CO2 and methane from that carbon. But once you start warming 
it up, we've seen experimentally that it just starts pumping out um, carbon dioxide and methane, which are both important greenhouse gases. Well, I want to talk more about that, the release of the carbon dioxide and, and methane uh, moving forward. We're going to take a break uh, here. We're talking to Dr. R. Eric Collins, uh, who is Assistant Professor of Biological Oceanography at the University of Alaska Fairbanks in the College of Fisheries and Ocean Sciences. We also have Michelle Hoffman on the phone, who is at the science desk in her own little house. Uh, not inner jammies. In, inner jammies. Uh, and I'm so sorry. Hey, anybody up in Alaska, if you can get a coffee to Eric, we'd really appreciate it. Don't fly it into that airport, though. We'll be right back. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Did you know it can take up to three liters of water to produce just one liter of bottled water? In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Over 22 billion water bottles end up in landfills each year, and far too many end up in our oceans and waterways. According to the Environmental Working Group, about 40% of bottled water is actually regular tap water that may or may not have gotten any additional treatment. They also confirmed there was at least 38 different low-level contaminants in bottled water and an average of eight chemicals. So, ditch the plastic water bottles, folks. Choose to filter water and use reusable bottles for your own health and to reduce plastic waste in landfills. I'm Green Diva Meg. Please visit thegreendivas.com to find useful Green Diva podcasts, videos, and, of course, lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. Hey, this is Peggy. When I speak at local events, people often ask me, aren't you the Peggy in Natural Awakenings ads? And that makes me happy because it reminds me that Chicagoans want to lead healthier lives. And Natural Awakenings magazine helps them do just that. Natural Awakenings is the greenest, healthiest magazine in the Chicago area. Each month, we bring you the latest information about health and wellness, complementary medicine, fitness and exercise, raising healthy kids, and even keeping your pets healthy. You'll find articles about healthy homes, too, including gardening, energy efficiency, and green living. And if you love good food, you'll always find tasty recipes and healthy cooking hints. Check out our monthly calendar. It's full of events to keep you connected. Natural Awakenings is available in more than 1,100 locations throughout the city, as well as suburban Cook, Lake, and McHenry counties. And it's free. Or visit us at nachicago.com. Natural Awakenings. Feel good. Live simply. Laugh more. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're at the science desk today. We're talking about permafrost. Uh, most of you don't have that issue here, but uh, in Alaska and Siberia and a few other places in the world, it is a huge issue. And one of the things we were talking about was the release of carbon dioxide and um, methane. Uh, one of the articles out there you can find on my blog, MikeNovak.net, um, is a study that was published in the journal Nature Climate Change that um, if the planet warms toward 2 degrees Celsius um, above pre-industrial levels, and you know it's kind of where we're trying to keep things, uh, each degree Celsius of warming will lead to the thawing of about 1.5 million square miles of permafrost. Now, 
given that we only have about 6 million square miles of permafrost, that's a lot of permafrost uh, affected. Um, And estimates vary on how much carbon is currently released from thawing worldwide, but one by one uh, calculation, emissions over the rest of the century could average about 1.5 billion tons a year or about the same as current annual emissions from fossil burning in the United States. So what we're to put it another way, we're burning this in the United States. We're releasing 1.5 billion tons a year, but we might get an additional 1.5 billion tons uh, a year. If we continue on our current course and the permafrost is melting, does does that sound right, Eric? Uh, unfortunately, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> the total amount of uh, carbon stored in permafrost is about twice what's in the atmosphere right now. So if um, if we melted all of it and released all of the carbon that was stored there as a maximum, it would double the amount of CO2 that's in the atmosphere and then um, and then add even more. So it would not be not be good. So where is all that carbon coming from? What's the source of it in the permafrost? Well, it's stored from thousands of years ago when there were active plant matter mostly that hasn't been degraded. So in a normal forest, you have leaves falling to the soil and they break down and are re-released back as CO2. Mm-hmm. But... Um, as the permafrost froze thousands of years ago, it stopped that process from happening. And so basically it's um, detritus, organic matter, that either fell from trees or was um, roots of trees and plants and shrubs that have just never degraded. It's, it's, it's interesting. There's, I get a sense of this. Uh, and it's and it's a very small level, I'll admit. But in the winter, in my compost pile, because mm-hmm. I put the stuff in there, and at some point, if we have a hard freeze for a long time, and it happens in Chicago a lot, where you'll get very yeah. very cold temperatures for weeks at a time, it stops. Everything just stops. And yep. then and then as things warm back up, the uh, biology revs up again, and you see the the level of the compost pile sink and you mm-hmm. know the biology is at work and and things are heating up again so it's on a much much vaster scale it's kind of what's happening with permafrost right exactly yeah uh so <laughs> uh i also hear about things like uh methane bombs people talk about methane bombs uh meaning that we get to this point where so much permafrost is released that it has the effect of uh, of a bomb going off in the atmosphere of of methane. Uh, what is what is a methane bomb, and how does it work in this scenario, Eric? Uh, the general idea of the methane bomb has to do with methane class rates that are actually in the marine environment. Mm-hmm. So there's actually some permafrost uh, because sea level has changed a lot over the past several thousand years. It's been rising for thousands of years. Um, So there was a point where a lot of of permafrost was uh, buried by the ocean, essentially. And uh, it can store a special kind of methane, which is a solidified form 
basically where you have ice crystals growing around the methane. And so these are called methane clathrates, and they can accumulate to very high uh, abundance and uh, form big layers in the ocean, in the sediment. And people have actually looked at trying to harvest these as a source of natural gas, but mostly people are worried that if there are a lot of these and there are um, warming events or changes in sea level, that they could actually um, release in large abundance and then start a, a feedback cycle because methane is a very efficient uh, greenhouse gas, about 24 or five times as potent as carbon dioxide. So as you release more methane, you could release more methane clathrates and a kind of runaway cycle. Do you see that happening? Let's 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 get down to brass tacks here. Do you see that happening? No, I think the I think people are not um, as worried about that right now um, as as other things that are going on. We don't have a lot of good evidence that 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 is going to happen. So so where do you see this headed? What's the ultimate disposition? of our melting permafrost, uh, even if we were to stop pumping stuff into the air tomorrow, uh, we would still be warming the planet to some degree, uh, which means that we're going to continue to see permafrost melt. How far do you think that goes? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, we should look at those at those models, those computer models to, to see, but um, we could be heading in the far future in the next 100, 200, 300 years for um, a world with no permafrost. Which will mean what? Well, it depends on who you are. If you're in Chicago, you might not, uh, you might not care so much. If you're a villager living on the coast of the Beaufort Sea, then you might care a lot more as you're entire village sinks into the ocean. But we will all be affected by it. I mean, if the permafrost melts, doesn't that mean that we are having polar ice caps melting as well? Well, the polar ice caps are a a longer-term problem on the 1,000-year timescale. So um, eventually, yes, if we keep up on our our current path, yeah. And it's also probably more carbon being thrown out into the atmosphere as it, as it, and methane affecting us all. If what happens? If the permafrost continues to melt at this state. Yep. <laughs> so From the well, affecting us know, all category. Can you use another question, though? Because there was a time before oxygen on this planet, and microbial life is, is how oxygen got introduced. And so is it outrageous to think that microbial life can change atmospheric chemistry again? Uh, no, certainly not. I mean, probably the the big changes have, have taken place already. I mean, what we're heading for now with the rise in CO2 is more similar to what's been in the in the past than, um, than recently. We've actually been in kind of a global uh, low CO2 point in the history of our planet, and we're now going back up to where the planet has been for billions of years before which is the planet could care less, really. It's really the uh, humanity that has the problem. Yeah, you know, when you say that, uh, unfortunately, I I hear uh, certain parties saying, see, 
the the good doctor told us that uh, carbon was like this in the past. You know, it's it's like the people who say, "Hey, we had volcanoes. Uh, we're just going back to that." So everybody, chill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, it, there there is a problem with saying that you know carbon it 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 fuels the perception that we don't have to worry about this and we don't have to stop releasing carbon dioxide and methane into our atmosphere. Well, it all depends on your perspective. So I also am interested in uh, astrobiology, life on other planets, and the early history of evolution on the Earth. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that after every mass extinction on Earth, there's been a huge proliferation of new forms of life. So humans and um, mammals evolved because a mass extinction wiped out the dinosaurs. So if you think on the long term, what kinds of cool things might evolve if we wipe ourselves out? <laughs> Give that man a ding. Okay. Who needs humans anyway? Yeah. They're annoying, and they're getting in the way, and they're messing up the planet. So let's let's just move on to a different species. <laughs> um, I'm personally biased against that idea because I happen to like humans. But, you know, some some people appear to not like humans and are excited for that future well i'm not so much not so much in the studio either uh even if we can see it coming like the 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 light at the end of the truck we, we, we just try a, to laugh about it a is bit. an approaching train yeah uh yeah. and and here we have and and you have you might you have to be aware of this that the senate is now considering drilling again in anwar uh, up in Alaska, the Arctic Na- uh, National Wildlife Refuge, and opening up the National Wildlife at uh, the National Petroleum Reserve. Uh, so, you know, and 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 obviously that doesn't actually affect how permafrost melts, except in the long run. It's sort of symbolic uh, yeah. uh, of what's going on. So, if we if we we extract more fossil fuels, we'll be pumping more carbon dioxide and more methane into the atmosphere, and it's almost as I described it on my blog, sticking a thumb in the eye of Mother Nature at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so that's going on as well. So you can watch the United States Senate. And, of course, the billion dollars they get out of it won't even scratch the surface of the $1.5 billion, uh, that they're going to lose by passing this tax reform. So go figure. Well, we're, we're just about out of time. Um, Dr. R. Eric Collins, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, uh, Michelle, uh, thank you for bringing. You guys worked on a boat together. What did you discover together in the Arctic Ocean? <laughs> wow, Eric, you wanna you wanna? Oh uh, well, that you one? know. I mean, I was microcosmic. <laughs> yeah, you guys were microcosmic. We only have like thirty seconds, so I, I guess you, I can't uh, go too far into that. But I just wanted to bring out that you guys had worked together. And uh, yep. are, are you planning to do that again soon? I hope. We are actually, Eric and I are working on a conference that's going to be in Oregon. You want to tell them, Eric? Yeah, in Portland in February, there's going to be an ocean sciences meeting. We're going to have a, an art science collaboration town hall where we're going to have artists and scientists uh, interacting and mingling and showing off their stuff. Fabulous. Well, again, thank you so much for being on the show. Michelle, thank you for uh, being at the science desk, even in your jammies. If you want more <laughs> if, if you want more information, go to my website, MikeNovak.net. I've got all this information, and let's hope it doesn't melt too fast. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Rick DeMaio Weather is next. 
this is Lisa Albrecht from the Illinois Solar Energy Association, and once again, we are raffling off a Tesla to one lucky winner. This year, it's the 2017 Tesla Model X. That's the sports utility vehicle. The proceeds go to ISEA for our work in advancing clean energy development in Illinois. Each ticket is $100, but you can get four for $300. Only 2,500 tickets will be sold, and you can buy as many as you'd like. The drawing is December 7th, and you don't need to be present to win. Go to IllinoisSolar.org for details. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contractor. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at restorethenorthshore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. After a big party is over, the people get to go home, but all the decorations get thrown in the trash. That's why there's random acts of flowers. RAF collects flowers used at weddings, memorial services, and community events, then repurposes them into beautiful bouquets to deliver to people in healthcare facilities. It's a small and simple gesture, but when you see the smiles on people's faces, it's more than worth it. To learn more, call 847-430-4751 or go online at rafchicago.org. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, mike at mikenovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at mikenovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please, support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at mikenovak.net. Me too. <laughs> it's what I. Pay, it's how I pay for radio. I don't know if you you, you realize that. Oh, was oh, that you? Yes, exactly. I was the one being surly behind the counter to you. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with uh, Peggy Malecki uh, and uh, Brandon is on uh, the uh, the Rick DeMaio alert and um, this. You didn't get him there, huh? No, not yet. <laughs> okay. He's checking all the answers to our quiz. Um, the answers to to which to quiz? the quiz he gave us for today. He said there was going to be an oh, exam. Oh, you're talking about Rick. You're talking about Rick. Rick, Mr. DeMaio. Yes, he's yeah. checking all the answers. Yeah, he did send us. Uh, he sent us the uh, information about. Uh, I'm finding it here on the website. The U.S. Global Change Research Program Client Science Special Report. Uh, oh, and there he is. Well, let's bring him in so we can uh, see if he's going to administer the, the quiz to us. Rick DeMaio, good morning. <laughs> what quiz? I was only kidding. Phew! Wow. Okay. <laughs> so we studied for nothing? Yeah, really? No, 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 no. You, you studied for yourselves. That's what I always tell my students. Because <laughs> I, I, I love it when I get those responses, Pegas. What do you mean? We studied this for nothing. We know this now for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> just in for ourselves. I read this for, for, for the fun of it? What? 
<laughs> but but if you did look through the uh, the executive summary, mm-hmm. um, it it's it's quite revealing and quite compelling. And um, uh, as Mike says, um, well, screwed. I don't know about that, but <laughs> it, it just, but but it definitely brings to light the fact that you know a year after the Paris Accord, um, we're kind of still where we were a year and a day ago. Um, if you go back to the day before the Paris Accord, but I think one of the one of the better statements that came out of the Bonn uh, climate talks, which just uh, concluded yesterday, uh, from the United States standpoint, um, who cares if the government isn't on board? The country is on board. I think we have to use it as a mantra for the next uh, year, maybe year and a half or two. I think so. I think uh, the other thing that came out of it that I was uh, looking at is uh, Angela Merkel. Uh, even admitted she's having problems in Germany yeah. with fossil fuels and 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 finding ways to replace fossil fuels in Germany. So if if the if the world leader is having an issue, right. well, and and given that that we're not the world leader anymore, uh, right, we, right. We're, we're, yeah, tough, tough, tough to say that, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> we're not the world leader in much of anything anymore, except you know making armaments. That's what we do best. Yeah, it, you know what? It, it, you know, just 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 to kind of you know, kind of you know, dovetail on that, Mike. Um, it, it's amazing how the philosophy of people who are in the Trump camp want to be the world leader by being by ourselves. Isn't isn't a leader being the, the head of a group of people? I believe it is, but uh... yeah, yeah, and and yet and yet they say we want to be the world leader by being by ourselves and America first. It's so hypocritical, and I think I actually got a couple of, you know, not a couple, but a handful of students in my class last Wednesday at Loyola when I when I literally talked about uh, two of the toughest chapters um, in the semester, which is you know uh, the impact of climate on energy. Uh, and also um, how it impacts politics, because when I really went into, you know, discussing the, the future of coal, it, it wasn't from my perspective, but it was from perspectives of people who live in places like Ohio, where they're closing two of the largest coal burning plants in the state. And it was basically statements that came from the uh, from the energy companies that say, look, these these plants no longer work. Uh, we don't see them being money makers or efficient uh, power plants beyond the middle of 2018. Uh, therefore, we have to shut them down. And this this is what they say coming from the horse's mouth, not from me. This is from them. And I and when I and when I talk about how staying in the agreement would have allowed us to at least be helpful to countries like China and India in in making their coal burning plants more efficient, because you know they're going to be using them. Uh, it. That, that decision literally took us out of the game. That's, I think, something I've already talked about before, but is evident also in a report and also what came out of um, uh, the German chancellor's you know, her statement as well. And, and I don't know if you caught the uh, conversation before you came on about permafrost, and one, mm-hmm. it's just the idea that there are really practical considerations to climate change, meaning out there in Alaska, if your roads are buckling and your and your runways are right. bu- buckling, that costs yeah. you money. Mm-hmm. You have now you have to allocate that money to fix stuff that is caused by permafrost melting, and that's not going to change real soon. So this is going to become a permanent part of people's budgets up there. Um, and and at some point, can they even live there if you can't get a plane in? Right. How do you survive uh, on the coast of Alaska? Yeah. You know, or- you know what. 
Well, go ahead, Peg. Uh, no, go ahead. We don't, we don't have time. You know, one, one of these days I have to get um, a friend of mine, a fellow meteorologist, Josh Dar, um, who is a meteorologist with the reinsurance part of Aon Corporation. He used to work for Citadel and also for Chesapeake Energy. Um, he's been super busy, you can imagine, with hurricanes the last two and a half to three months. But he'd be a great person to talk to Mike and say, because he really, what he deals with is the cost analysis of reinsuring people who live um, near the coast or thin with probably, you know, a couple hundred yards of South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, and how much more this insurance is costing them. And it's not based on what the government has done. It is based on what hurricanes and, and rising sea level and sunny day floods has done, because that's the science. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Chuck Todd had Rick Perry. Oh, my God, there's a name out of the <laughs> out of the ancient annals of, of climate wisdom, right? Yeah. Uh, Rick Perry, who's the energy secretary, and he basically posed the question, why isn't the U.S. being, you know, becoming more of a part of the, of the bond climate talks? He goes, well, you can't tell me that every day the wind is going to blow, so I want coal to make sure I can turn on my lights the next day. Are they still and, using that? Are they still? I mean, I can't believe that they still use that. It, but it, it was it was one of the dumbest, least educated answers I've ever heard from a Department of Energy secretary. And the strange thing about it was I had just shown a movie to my little kids, and who was there was the previous Department of Energy secretary, which was Stephen Chu, who just happened to have a Ph.D. and worked at Lawrence Livermore National Labs in Berkeley. Talk about two different bulbs in the closet, right? Oh my goodness! Yeah, and well, and and the point is that the the, the dumbest uh, people are the ones running the show right now, unfortunately, yeah. and that's why we're all and we're all going to pay for it. But we don't have time to go into it that much because you need to tell us what's going on with the weather yeah. in Chicago. Yeah, but 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 hopefully you can post that link of the of the executive summary online and people can look at it. So yes. cold today. We had a little bit of rain snow yesterday. Uh, Mid forties tomorrow warms up and back to seasonal temperatures, at least below seasonal readings. For Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and into Friday as well. Good news, nothing in the way of any big storms this week, so everybody can travel to and fro nicely, safely, and happily. Uh, all right, let me ask you very quickly, because we do have yeah. a few seconds left. Oh, okay. Uh, looking, looking ahead, because uh-huh. everybody wants to know whether there's going to be a white Christmas, what, what, what are you thinking at the moment? You know what? The pattern turns very, very cold around here. Once we get into the last five days of November, into the first two weeks of December. It kind of backed off a little bit the last couple of days, but it definitely looks much colder than average and certainly much colder than last November, December. Mm-hmm. So the chances, I think, are, are getting a little bit better. I sent Peg a map of all the snow cover across North America. There's a lot more this year compared to last year, and that's, and that's always moving in, in the right direction at that extent. Well, not in the right, but the most favorable direction. No, I'm, 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 all, I'm all for snow. and, I'm, and <laughs> you'll, I, you'll be bundled up as a frozen robin. Hey, and I want my, uh, my friends in the horticulture realm who have the the plows they need to get out there and make some money this year too so all right all right rick DeMaio, we'll talk to you we'll talk to you next sunday okay i'm listening to the muppet music remembering my past which wasn't too long ago watching that show all right take care buddy thanks to mitch mcneil dr brian lenz michelle hoffman dr r eric collins rick DeMaio, and of course brandon until next sunday at nine go green or go home Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.